Hello, and welcome to Fly Over the Groove, the Michelle Brangwen Dance Ensembles podcast. I'm Michelle Brangwen. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I will be talking with Elizabeth Zimmer, dance writer and critic. Elizabeth Zimmer has been an important voice in writing about many forms of dance, but in particular contemporary dance, with passion and insight. She was the dance editor for The Village Voice from 1992 through 2006, and she also worked as a writer for The Village Voice from 1983 until the publication folded in August of 2018. Elizabeth Zimmer has written for many publications about dance, including Dance Magazine and the Dance USA Journal, and she teaches workshops on the art of dance writing. She is currently a dance research fellow at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts, where, for the past few months, she has been researching Selma Jean Cohen, a pioneer in the field of dance history, theory, and philosophy. We are going to talk about Elizabeth Zimmer's discoveries in the Selma Jean Cohen archives and their significance on the field of dance. We will also talk about Ms. Zimmer's work as a performer, writer, and educator. Public Library for the Performing Arts recording. And Elizabeth Zimmer, thank you for speaking with me today. Delighted to be here. So I, I believe this is the 75th anniversary of the Jerome Robbins division, the collection of the Jerome Robbins division here at the New York Public Library. The dance division. The dance division. Which formerly was called the dance collection, but it grew and it's um, a lot of its possibilities are financed by the fact that Jerome Robbins donated 1% of his royalties from Fiddler on the Roof to this library. I did not know that. That's amazing. That's great. And it keeps it going and growing. And I know that you are a 2019 research fellow here and that you've been, for the past few months, in the archives of Selma Jean Cohn. So I wanted to start by, if you could tell us a little bit about Selma Jean Cohn and what you've been encountering in your work in in the archives. Selma Jean Cohn is essentially the fairy godmother of dance studies in this country. She knew from a very early age that she loved dance, that she was not going to be a dancer because she had no talent. And she decided that she would be a dance historian. And she told her the dean of her high school when he asked her what she was going to do with the rest of her life. She said, I want to be a dance historian. And he looked at her and said, you want to be a what? So there was no such thing at that time. This would have been 1937. She was 16 years old, graduating from the University 
high school, the laboratory school at the University of Chicago. And she took up that idea and ran with it in an environment where it was next to impossible to study dance history because nobody was teaching it. So if you wanted to prepare for a career teaching it, you had to come at it sidelong. In her case, she took a PhD in English literature. Other people have taken degrees in theater departments, in various language departments. But after she got her PhD, also at the University of Chicago in 1946, she finished a dissertation on Gerard Manley Hopkins, and she moved to California, where she taught in the English department at UCLA. And she went to work for Eugene Loring, who was a, an American choreographer who made a name for himself by choreographing dances on American themes, like Billy the Kid. And she worked with him. She was his librarian in his studio. He had a studio on Hollywood Boulevard in L.A., and she was there until the early 50s, and then she moved to New York and went to work at Hunter College teaching English. And she got a job at the Performing Arts High School, the, the so-called fame school, the uh, High School of the Performing Arts, which at that time was on West 46th Street. It's now... LaGuardia, now called LaGuardia. LaGuardia High School, and it's across the street from this library. Her teach her her Students included Bruce Marks, Judith Chazen Benaham, who for many years after that was the chair of the dance department at the University of New Mexico. I know. Also, I was trying to find the reference last night and I couldn't. I think that John Martin, who was writing about Martha Graham and who we really attribute to like letting the world know what, what, what was going on, I had read, but I couldn't find the reference last night, that he was writing about sports, that that was his main, and then he segued over to, to writing about contemporary dance. And this, I think, was in the late 20s, 30s. So what you're saying about, like, 1937, even I don't know what state dance writing in the newspaper was, let alone, you know, history. There wasn't, I don't think there was much writing about currently what was going on, at least in the contemporary dance world, maybe uh, maybe in the ballet. and I, I don't know that about uh, John Martin, but what I do know is that he wrote for the New York Times from 1927 to 1963. I think that adds up to 35 years. If Incredible, you do yeah. The math. And he was became the dance critic. He, I think he was a music critic, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But he could he he became the first critic on a major american newspaper to concentrate and you're correct on contemporary dance he was a big promoter of martha graham and doris humphrey and selma jean got a job working for him in 1955 oh i didn't know and that was his assistant at the times for 3 years and she wrote the occasional dance review. She covered church sermons. They would send her to churches to come back and report on what the pastor said. She wrote 
for the society pages, you know, what they used to call the women's sports pages. And she was essentially the first female dance critic at the Times. And then in 1959, she and a man named Al Pichel worked together to start a magazine, a quarterly journal called Dance Perspectives, which was patterned after Dance Index, a, a magazine that had been engineered by Lincoln Kirstein. Lincoln Kirstein was sort of the brains and the money behind the New York City Ballet in the first place. And a very bright guy, graduate of Harvard, who... One of the interesting things about studying Selma Jean is to explore how she managed to pull off the career she had, never holding a full-time job in, in the entire 55 years that she was doing it, except for one year. For one year, she was a, a visiting distinguished professor at the Five College Dance Department in Northampton. Mm, Massachusetts? Massachusetts, writing, uh, teaching at Mount Holyoke and Smith and Amherst and the University of Massachusetts and Hampshire. You know, the students from all those places would come to her classes. But the rest of the time, she was a freelancer. And in those days, I mean, she was writing articles for encyclopedias for a penny a word, two cents a word. And I kept trying to figure out how she pulled this off. And it turns out that she pulled it off the same way Lincoln Kirstein pulled it off, with family money. Lincoln's parents, when he was, I think, graduated from college, said to him, we're going to leave you this money eventually anyway, but why don't we give it to you now? so that you can do with it the things that your head dreams of. And that was just a brilliant move. He did fabulous things with his oh, money. Yeah, with he also started a magazine. Ballet, yeah. yeah, we have the New York City Ballet, mm -hmm. and we had Dance Index. and So Selma Jean uh, didn't have a lot of money, but she had enough money that she could focus on the things she wanted to do. And the things she wanted to do included publishing this magazine and creating a situation where people who wanted to study dance history, dance criticism, could do that. Her archives here are, um, I think it's something like 48 running feet of boxes. Wow. With uh, folders in them. I mean, there's a lot of paper. But she was establishing training programs where people could learn how to do dance research. In the early 1970s, she got money from the National Endowment from the, for the Humanities to offer three summer seminars, 74, 75, and 76, in dance research and history. The first one was about uh, French ballet. The second one was about Diaghilev, and the Ballet Russe and all of the accomplishments that happened mm. there. And the third one, which was 1976, was about dance in America before 1910. And the people who she trained in that series of seminars are figures that we still hear about today. I mean, she did extraordinary spade work. She trained Nancy Reynolds, who 
when she got into the workshop, was already an editor of dance books and worked with Selma Jean on other books that, that she published, including the Dance Encyclopedia, which was her coup de grace at the end of her life. But there's a guy named Bill Bissell, who was a, a history student from Fresno, California, made his way to this workshop and wound up doing research on dance in Fresno, California in the 1860s. I mean, how wow. would you find out things like that? You know, they, they taught them how to do that. And Bill is now a program officer at the Pew Charitable Trust in, in Philly. He's been instrumental in supporting the dance community in Philadelphia for many years. When did uh, when did Dance Perspective stop publication? How how long was that? She kept it going until about 1976-77. And what happened was that she just got tired of doing all the work herself. And she handed the publishing end of it, you know, the subscriptions and all of that stuff, over to a publisher called Marcel Decker, D-E-K-K-E-R, and what they did was raise the prices so high that the people in the dance world could not afford to subscribe. And she just decided she was tired of doing all the work. So, and, and that there was a, a bigger uh, iceberg on her horizon, if you like. And, and that iceberg was the idea of a uh, Encyclopedia of Dance, an international encyclopedia of dance. So just at the moment that she let dance perspectives go, she began holding meetings with people and funding organizations to get planning grants to do the International Encyclopedia of Dance. One of her other major projects was doing the spade work to set up first a master's program and then a doctoral program in dance at the University of California, an intercampus program that started mm -hmm. out at the University of California, Riverside, but pulled in people from many of the other campuses. And she published over the span of her lifetime between Dance Perspectives and the Encyclopedia. She published a book called the Modern Dance, Seven Statements of Belief. Yes, I've read her uh, opening essay to that about how how we define contemporary dance or can we define contemporary dance. And there are seven different choreographers who are interviewed and do their own writing and talk about their philosophies of art and how it should go. Her next book project after that was a book called Doris Humphrey, an artist first. One of the first issues of Dance Perspectives was an autobiographical essay by Doris Humphrey, who died in 1958. And in the years just before she died, in the months before she died, she started writing an autobiography. And Selma Jean got her hands on it, cleaned it up, published it with a lot of fabulous photographs. Mm. And then years later, took that material and transformed it, essentially finished telling her life story and published it as a book. Doris Humphrey, an artist first. 
Then the next one after that was Dance as a Theater Art, which was the first dance history textbook out there. It had selections from the mid-16th century all the way up to Meredith Monk and George Balanchine and other contemporary artists, and it was reissued a few years later with a chapter by Jerome Robbins. While she was doing all this, she was working almost every summer at the American Dance Festival at Connecticut College. And in addition to those three summers where she went to the University of Chicago to train dance historians, for several years she rounded up dance, she rounded up newspaper writers from papers all over the country, music writers, theater writers, and trained them in how to look at dance and how to write about dance. And this was a very crafty move. You know, on the one hand, the dance boom had just started to happen, so there was a lot of touring dance in this country, and she prepared a bunch of journalists, you know, seven or eight a year for a number of years. I was ultimately one of those journalists, but after she handed it over to other teachers prepared them to deal with the dance that came through their cities. What she also prepared them to do was to review her books when she published them. This is not stupid. I mean, she sort of knew what she was doing. And she she was quite the character. She, Everybody that I spoke to, I, I both dug around in the archives for months and months, but I also talked to a lot of people who knew her. And they all kind of said the same thing, that she was a prim, proper, elegant lady. Actually, that brings me to my something I wanted to ask you, because m- many of us know you from your writing about dance that's happening or about to happen. So we think of you as being out and about and experiencing. And I know for the past few months, you've been coming here every day. When, whenever I've done a research on a person, some after a while, I start to feel like they're an old friend, even though I've never met them. So I wanted to ask you what it's been like to have this shift to come here every day. And also, how has your feelings about Selma Jean Cohn changed or evolved over the course of, of, of visiting with her archive every day? What has become clear to me is that I owe this woman my career, that the spade work that she did in the 50s and the 60s enabled me to move to New York in the late 70s and have places to write that would pay me, have um, enough craft that I could get hired by newspapers and magazines and even radio stations. I lived in Canada for 10 years. And I also realized how many things she did in the course of putting together this career without ever having had a full-time academic job or a full-time job on a newspaper were the same things that I did. She sat on panels. She adjudicated dance festivals. She taught weekend workshops. She gave lectures all over the place. You know, Every time I turned over another letter and read another, 
contract. I said to myself, oh, she did that? I did that too. <laughs> you know, and, and the difference, the primary difference is, A, she was 25 years older than I was. She, she was operating in a kind of different historical environment. But also that she decided at some point fairly early in her career that she didn't want to be a dance critic, that she wanted the leisurely pace of a dance historian, that she wanted to do her research in the depth and complexity that she wanted to do it. She didn't want to have to write something for tomorrow morning or for 11 o'clock. You know, mm-hmm. you, when you're a working dance critic in a major city, you come out of a performance at 10.15 and you have to file your review at 11. That uh, so that it's in people's hands the next morning. That has changed dramatically because of the internet. Now you file your review at 11 and it's in people's hands at 11.15. It was not a pace that she was interested in. Mm. So she went ahead and wrote these dance historical, wrote and edited dance historical material, whereas I moved into criticism and this, you know, morning after deadline and writing to tight space constraints and, I spent most of my time, as you pointed out, paying attention to new work. I like to look at new work in small spaces where I can be up close and personal with the dancers. I want to ask you about what brought you to dance. I know that you've had a career as a dancer. I know you've created uh, evening-length performance work. And um, maybe you you could talk about what brought you to dance and then also talk about a little bit about that journey from from dancer performer to 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 dance writer well when I was young what I wanted to be when I grew up was an actress so I went off to college with the idea that I was you know I was going to major in drama and when you major in drama they make you take dance classes so I was doing that and that was fine but the drama department wasn't very good and so After my second year, I switched my major from drama to creative writing. And I was writing poetry and taking all these courses in Shakespeare and abnormal psychology. I spent my junior year in college sitting all the time. And I suddenly realized that I hated it. I I wanted to be moving. This was not a college that had a physical education department. It was very arts-centered. And so in my senior year, I signed up for the freshman dance majors class. And I sort of lucked out in that that freshman class had in it Wendy Perrin, who went on to become the uh, editor of Dance Magazine, but she was also a member of Trisha Brown's company. She had her own dance company. She's a very bright, interesting, beautiful artist and writer. Liz Lerman who has had an extraordinary career as a choreographer and a thinker and is now on the faculty at Arizona State University in Tempe, was in that class, and four or five other people whose names you would know. And I was just doing it for fun. You know, I was going to go to graduate school in English, but I had to get the BA. And so I took all these dance classes and made myself available to young choreographers who wanted bodies to be in their dances. And I loved it. It was great. I graduated from college at exactly the same weight that I went in, 
which is to say dancing every day was really good for me. And I went to graduate school in English. And somewhere along the line, I got married. And somewhere along the line after that, my ex-husband lost his job. So I needed to look around to find some extra work to supplement my income so that we could keep our apartment and have our life, you know. And I wound up writing for the radio station in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And I was writing about education and I was writing about theater and I was writing about film. I was writing commentaries for the equivalent program to Morning Edition Mm. on NPR. And one day, one of my producers at the CBC in Halifax asked me if I knew anything about dance. And I said, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said, well, why don't you go cover the opening of this new concert hall and talk about the dance concert that's happening there? So I did. And one thing led to another. And whenever there was a dance event in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which Lord knows was not very often, I would write about it. And one day, a a colleague of mine, kind of a competitor of mine, said to me, you know, Elizabeth, you should really specialize. You should make it known that you are very interested in dance. And then whenever anybody has a dance subject that they need covered, they'll call on you. Well, I thought that was an interesting idea. At the time, I I think in retrospect, she just wanted me to get out of her way. <laughs> you know, she didn't want to have to compete with me. But I took her advice and I began to write a lot about dance. And then I moved to a much bigger city. And I went to the CBC in Vancouver and I said, do you need a theater critic? Because basically I'm a word person and I wanted to be engaged with language. And they said, no, you know, we have a theater critic. How would you like to be our dance critic? And I took a deep breath and I said, oh, all right. And that was like 1975. And I've been doing it ever since. And and as I say, I got to take this workshop that Selma Jean was gone by then, but her heirs had taken it over and were teaching it. And so I I wrote for the radio. And then when I moved to New York, I wrote for the Soho Weekly News and I wrote for the Village Voice and I wrote for Dance Magazine. But I also edited a book about Bill T. Jones and Arnie Zane. And along the way, various people have invited me to be in their performances. I, I danced with a choreographer named Christopher Williams back in 2005. That was one of the high points of my professional life. This has been great talking to you today. And, I'm, and I am so grateful that you took the CBC's uh, offer up to become the dance because we've had your voice for these years and it's been really important. And I know that I'm really grateful that we've had your voice. So thank you for that. And and thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you. My pleasure. All six of the Jerome Robbins Dance Division Fellows at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts will be presenting about their research on Friday, January 24th, starting at 10 a.m. You can find more information and schedule at nypl.org slash events. Click on Library for the Performing Arts. Our goal with our Fly Over the Groove podcast is to incorporate discussion and interviews about the contemporary dance and music scene as well as inform listeners about our work. 
If you aren't familiar with the Michelle Brangwen Dance Ensemble, we are an interdisciplinary performing ensemble of contemporary dance and music. In 19 years, every performance has included live original music and the musicians as integral parts of the stage imagery. You can find out more about us at brangwendance.org. This has been Fly Over the Groove, the Michelle Brangwen Dance Ensemble's podcast. I'm Michelle Brangwen. Thank you for listening.